0: Alright, good morning. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. It's good to see you here this week. I hope that uh, God's been at work in your life all week long and that today we get to come, we get to celebrate, we get to worship, we get to uh, confess our reliance upon God to uh, to uh, create us and recreate us, to sustain us as we go through our days. Because um, I think that's a fundamental understanding we have to have, uh, that we have this incredible worth because of... Uh, We bear God's image, and because of Christ, we've been raised to new life. so we have this incredible dignity and worth, but at the same time, we also understand our our deep depravity and our deep inability to do anything that would please God, that would uh, enable us to come back and stand before His holy righteousness uh, and be counted worthy, except for Jesus. Except for what Jesus did for us. So uh, we kind of have this tension, this like, oh, incredible worth, (laughs) incredible brokenness that we carry together. But in Christ, we're made whole and we're healed and we're welcomed back into God's family. So that's all I have to say today. Let's pray. I didn't even have that written down. That was easy. Uh, Let's go eat lunch. Hey, today we're continuing in our Imprint 2022 teaching series, guys. This is the second to last week. We are in our outward, our corporate expressions, our corporate disciplines. Uh, this has been a study through the classical Christian spiritual disciplines, and we started out with the inward disciplines like prayer scripture, study, meditation, fasting, then the outward disciplines like solitude, simplicity, silence, uh, service, submission, I think so, or yeah, and then now we're into the corporate ones, the shared ones, the ones that we do together, and this week is week number 16, and today we're talking about guidance. You may know that uh, I I struggle with anxiety, Uh, anyone else have the the good friend, constant companion, anxiety, thank you, anxiety. Uh, Years ago, I I developed, before I really knew much about anxiety and about how it can manifest in certain things like insomnia, I started getting like sleep anxiety. Like when you have bad nights of sleep, trying to stay in hotels, you start becoming anxious about the bad night of sleep you're gonna have in a hotel so you can't sleep, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, so I've tried everything, you know, over the years, man, tried everything to help with my insomnia. And uh, so I've got like a prescription I can take if I need to, but you know the thing that's helped me the most? (laughs) That's right. We're in church. (laughs) I was waiting for that. (laughs) The Bible. No, actually, yes, Jesus. But there's also a podcast I listen to. It's a sleep podcast. It's a sleep podcast where the guy just tells stories and they're boring stories. They meander. They just, he says, hey, I'm going to tell you slightly interesting stories. And they're just interesting enough to get your bracing thoughts sidetracked. You can focus on it just enough to help you stop racing, stop obsessing, and start listening to this really boring, slightly interesting story. And before you know it, you're asleep. It's a godsend. So yes, Jesus is involved in this podcast, I guess, because it's been a, a boon for my sleep health. Uh, but anyway, I say all that to say this. This might be the most slightly interesting message in this whole series. (laughs) Today, I mean, it's hard to get jazzed about like guidance. Ow! You know, I told you like the the submission week was like uh, in the the least viewed video on our YouTube channel (laughs) that week. Like, I don't wanna know about submission. That sounds terrible. Well, guidance, truth be told, is the one that I have the hardest time getting excited about but if it's something that the church throughout history has observed and acknowledged as a discipline something of spiritual value and importance in our life together maybe we ought to pay attention so as i'm lulling you to sleep today understand that there's something important here and i think we'll come away with something of of value something that we can hold on to and say yes how we make decisions in our church family is a spiritual discipline There's spiritual import to the decisions we make and how we go about doing what god's called us to do so today we're talking about guidance did you know did you know that every church has a decision-making process by which they discern the way forward by which they choose what they will and what they will not do this is a true story even our church with its minimalistic design, we still have to make decisions. We have to still decide what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Did you know how a church makes decisions can and should be a spiritual discipline? I'm going to say no, I did not know this. I mean, I didn't before writing this, of course. I didn't ever think about that. Business meetings anyone? Have you ever sat through a church business meeting and thought this is so drenched with the Spirit. (laughs) This is so spiritually significant. No! Robert's Rules of of Order quenches the Spirit immediately, in my mind. I mean, as soon as you start talking like, you know, there's a motion from the floor, from the head of the personnel committee, I mean, Ichabod, the Spirit of the Lord has departed. (laughs) Immediately. Uh, But how we make decisions, our decision-making process is a spiritual discipline. I'm not sure I've ever thought of it that way before. Now, some churches churches do it differently. Granted, you've been probably in different expressions, local expressions of the church, and they had different mechanisms in place for how they made decisions. Some churches leave that decision up to the, the pastor alone. The pastor just calls the shots. Some look to an elder team or a, a leadership team or a committee, while others employ a democratic process that just lets everybody in the congregation get in on the action. Anyone been in that church? Where it's like all voted, everything's voted? Yeah, so the least informed make the most powerful decisions? Yeah. Um, you know, because it's, it's the people that are still in the membership role that live out of state, that are just mad about something, still so drive in for the business meeting and vote, yeah. Been there? Okay, I need therapy for that probably. Um, anyway, uh, why do churches need to have a decision-making process? Why do churches need to have a decision-making process? Well, simply enough, because there are decisions to be made, we have to make, we're not just this thing fixed in time, we're on the move, we're a thing in motion, so decisions need to be make, made. Each church has all kinds of decisions to make. They have to make the financial decisions, they have to make staff decisions, they have to make uh, missional decisions, how are we going to engage our neighborhood. They're, they have to make di- uh, church discipline decisions, which no one likes, but we have to, uh, we have to create and, and, and enforce a certain sort of moral order with inside the church. How are we going to honor Christ in our life together? Each church has all kinds of decisions to make, and each of us has a part to play in that. Each of us has a part to play in discerning what the Holy Spirit is up to and where the Holy Spirit is leading us, both personally and corporately, in our lives with uh, in our lives in our church fellowship. Okay. Uh, so here's a helpful formula that I'm going to return to several times today. God's will. Plus, believers' unity equals guidance and authority. Okay, I'll say it again. God's will plus believers' unity equals guidance and authority. So here's the good news. God has a will. There is something God desires to happen in the world, desires to happen in our lives. God has a will, and it can be known. God doesn't just have a will, he has a will that can be known, it's been revealed and he wants us to know about it, it can be known by his people. Through scripture, through prayer and through wise counsel, we can know God's desire for his people. We don't have to go feeling our way along the darkened walls of a cave to just like infer, we know, the light has shone upon us, we can know what kind of life we ought to live and what we ought to be doing with the time we've been given. He, we can know God's desire for His people and how we ought to live in His world. This is great, right? What could possibly go wrong with God's will being so available to us? Well, turns out a lot of things. A lot of things can go wrong. Uh, Problems can arise when we do one of two things. When we ignore or when we commandeer God's will. What does it mean to ignore? That's easy. We just don't pay attention, we disregard, we, 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 we just avoid it, we don't care. But what does it mean to commandeer? What comes to mind when you hear commandeer? Take control. Take control the police are <laughs> i need to commandeer this vehicle for police purposes. Yeah, this happened a lot in the movie the shows i watched growing up. I really thought it might happen more in real life, but it, i've never had my vehicle commandeered. Anyone here had their vehicle commandeered by the police? Yeah, but that's what i think about when i hear about commandeering. So, problems arise in regards to God's will when we either ignore it or we commandeer it. We like to be in control. We like to be in control and to our hands-on, pull-yourselves-up-by-your-bootstraps ears, seeking and waiting upon the Holy Spirit for guidance can sound too mystical. It can sound too idealistic, too imprecise, too impractical, and really just kind of willy-nilly. It's like, really? That's our plan? We just wait? We just wait for the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts to bring us into some sort of agreement? That sounds kind of Wild West to me. Right, We have problems with it. So, due to our own agendas and often to our own impatience, we can end up pushing past the Holy Spirit, pushing past the Holy Spirit's guidance, uh, and we end up in disobedience. We end up disobeying. We end up hurting people, and we end up obstructing kingdom work. With the best of intentions, we end up actually hindering that which God desires to do among us. That's a sad story, but man, it's a familiar one, isn't it? We've done that. We've pushed past the Holy Spirit so many times. And sometimes we end up hijacking God's will. We essentially say to God, thanks, I'll take it from here. We can say it as a church, thanks God, but we will take it from here. I think we have a pretty good idea about what we need to be doing. Appreciate it. And then we go charging off on our ill-informed, ill-advised crusades. Man, the church does this a lot. I do this a lot. But here's the thing. When we survey scripture, we find a God who desires to lead his people. Okay, All the way from back in the beginning of the Old Testament, we find a God who desires to actually lead his people to direct their paths uh, and to um, be glorified in their midst. This is what God does and what He desires. The pages of the Bible are punctuated with overtures from this God who desires to dwell among His people and to share His heart with them, to share His will with them. Richard Foster explains it this way. God led the children of Israel out of bondage as a people. Everyone saw the cloud and fiery pillar... They were not a gathering of individuals who happened to be going in the same direction. They were a people under the theocratic rule of God. His brooding presence covered them with an amazing immediacy. It'd be hard to be part of Israel after being set free from Egyptian slavery, being led into uh, the desert, into the wilderness, uh, and not feel like God was doing something. Why? Because by day there was a... A cloud, and by night there was a pillar of fire leading the way, telling them to stop, to wait, and then to go, to follow. I mean, it was like there was not as many question marks. It was right there. God's will was so easy to discern. But here's the thing. Just as God actively led Israel in the days of old, His guidance among His people today finds fresh expression and fulfillment, not in a cloud and not in a pillar of fire, but in Jesus Christ Himself. Of the church, Richard Foster continues, once again, a people were gathered who lived under the immediate theocratic rule of the Spirit. With quiet persistence, Jesus showed them what it meant to live in response to the voice of the Father. He taught them that they too could hear the heaven-sent voice, and most clearly they could hear it when together. Anyone else have this sense that like, man, I've actually found myself saying, man, I wish I lived in the Old Testament when they had the cloud and the pillar of fire, because that would be so much better, so much easier. But if you actually read the experience of the Israelites, I'm not sure. Given a choice, I think I'd go with the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, The Holy Spirit's been given to each and every one of us individually, but then when we come together, something powerful and important happens together. We can know... God's will. We can sense His presence among us just as powerfully and just as real as the, pow- the, the cloud and the pillar of fire. Do you realize that? It's with us. It's within us. So, so let's hear Jesus' assurance about His guidance and His presence uh, among us. His presence and His guiding will. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 18, 19 and 20 Jesus says, I also tell you this. If two of you, and this is when Jesus is talking about what? Correcting another believer uh, in the face of conflict. This is how Jesus summarizes his thoughts. He says, I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Why? For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Jesus is promising. He's like, hey, even in the midst of conflict or correction, man, when you gather with a heart set on unity, set on glorifying God, man, I'm right there with you. You are not doing this alone. You're not having to sort it out, not having to figure it out on your own. Jesus assures us that when people gather in His name, He is there. He is there in their midst, and God's will can be discerned among them, especially When it's hard, especially when there's uh, correction to be made or conflict to be resolved. He is there in our midst, so we must not give up. We must rely upon it and then don't give up. Somehow, the Holy Spirit, alive inside each and every believer, uses the checks and balances of each person to help ensure that when our hearts are in unity... There will be more, there, they will be more likely to come into unity with God's heart. Okay, you know that checks and balances. If we're truly seeking to honor God and truly uh, seeking to listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we come together, that checks and balances will uh, have a pretty good chance of bringing us right into alignment with God's revealed will. Okay, that's where we need Scripture, but that's where we need each other. When when you and I commit to prayer, when you and I commit to searching scripture, we bring a calibration, we bring a self-correcting sense of discernment into that conversation. Isn't that great? That we can have a supernatural ability to come to agreement, to work past our own preferences and hang-ups and come to some decision or some agreement that actually pleases God. So God's will plus believer's unity equals what? Guidance and authority. God's will plus believer's unity equals guidance and authority. In the early church, in the book of Acts, uh, we see a deep and ongoing dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm sending the counselor. I'm sending God's Holy Spirit. And we see right away they start relying upon the Holy Spirit. We see a deep and ongoing dependence on the Holy Spirit. Uh, We notice a willingness to wait. We see a willingness to, uh, at times, delay decision-making to seek unity and discern the way forward, believing that God's will can be known. I'm thinking about uh, Acts 15, verse 28. Uh, This is where the apostles and elders in Jerusalem have to send a letter to... um, Antioch where the gentile believers are being told they got to do all these like mosaic law stuff, you know, circumcision, all this other stuff and they're like, "No, no, no. You don't have to do that." They're writing this letter and in 15 Acts 15:28, 15, they say, "For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to no, to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements." And it goes on. But listen to that. "For it seems good to what?" It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. This is a powerful saying here, uh, revealing something important. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. How do we get to that point? Unless we are looking to Scripture, unless we are praying, unless we're patiently seeking God's will together, can we genuinely come to the place where we say, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to me seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us that we do this thing, and we don't do this other thing. This is what I think God's will is, because it seems good to the Holy Spirit, and it seems good to us. As we look in the pages of Scripture, as we sit humbly with the Lord in prayer, these things are confirmed. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now, conflict arose in the church, and well-meaning, God-fearing people disagreed at times, but all of them were willing, in the end, to set aside preferences, set aside agendas in deference to the leading of the Holy Spirit. If we believe God is still involved in His good creation, if we believe that God is still pursuing redemption among us, we must also believe that the Holy Spirit is still guiding His church. And Jesus is, just as Jesus promised it would in John chapter fourteen. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John fourteen, fifteen through twenty six. John fourteen, fifteen through twenty six. Jesus says here he's promising the Holy Spirit. He says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives within you now and later will be in you. He lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Once, Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name. (laughs) That's unfortunate. You're the other Judas among the disciples. I'm not that guy. I'm not that one. I'm, I'm Judas, Judas Mitchell, you know, or whatever his last name was. Anyway, uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord why, are, when, uh, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will will remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus, over and over again, almost in confusingly... (laughs) redundant language almost like i'm in the father the father's me i'm in you and you're in the father so then we're all (laughs) you're like a venn diagram in your head it's like yeah okay but what's jesus trying to emphasize i am with you at so many levels in so many ways trust it trust that we will be with you always god desires his church to be a joyful gathering of people who according to richard foster have rejected both human totalitarianism and anarchy They've even rejected democracy, that is, majority rule. There are people daring to live on the basis of spirit rule, no 51% vote, no compromises, but spirit-directed unity. Guys, I want us to be a joyful gathering of people who are trusting in the Holy Spirit for His unity among us. Unity, rather than majority rule, is the central principle of guidance. The practices of prayer, of fasting and of worship, uh, they lead to obedience. And that obedience helps us discern, discern the Holy Spirit's guidance uh, most clearly and, re- and reliably. Remember when we talked about fasting, how uh, fasting kind of clears our mind? It kind of clears away some of the clutter and noise in our lives so that we can listen more closely. We can discern more clearly. Yeah, so these things are important. Prayer, fasting, worship, they lead us to obedience, and that obedience helps us more clearly and faithfully discern the Holy Spirit's guidance. So remember, God's will plus believer's unity equals guidance and authority. Hearing God speak and embracing His presence, discerning His guidance, it is necessary for us as His church. It's necessary for us for our vitality for our unity and for our missional effectiveness i had some real printing issues i'm upside down on the back of my notes so this might be a little cumbersome hold on one second oh look at that that was really slick i didn't even need to mention that because guidance is so critical to the ongoing health and faithfulness and effectiveness of the church we can expect that the enemy is going to target our church in this area. The enemy, the devil, uh, is going to try to sow disunity in our midst so that he can foster uh, unhealth, lack of faithfulness, and lack of effectiveness. The enemy is going to attack our church to attack and sow disunity among the flock. So what are those angles of attack? How is the enemy going to attack the local church? Uh, How is the enemy going to attack you uh, as you pursue uh, unity as you pursue to discern God's will. Well, I'm going to point out four angles of attack from the enemy or threats to the spiritual discipline of guidance. The first threat starts right here. Starts right here. Number one, manipulation and controlling behavior by leaders. Maybe you've heard of this happening in the church before. Maybe you've read about this somewhere. Maybe in some other far country. But it happens. It is possible that the leaders in your church can can seek to manipulate and control behavior by spiritualizing the spiritual discipline of guidance. Leaders can be uh, the spiritual discipline of guidance can become an expedient way to overcome opposition and squelch contrary behavior. Guys, the quickest way for a, a leader in the church to overcome opposition is to say three words: God told me. God told me. How do you argue against that? You play the God told me card. Are you going to be a bad Christian by arguing? Right? Beware. Beware of any leader. Beware of any Christian that comes to you and tries to get you to to agree to follow on by just saying, hey, God told me. If they say that, say, okay, well, show me in Scripture where, where God has said that. Because God's not going to tell you something over and against Scripture that He's not already said and confirmed in His Word, so beware of the "God told me." It can become this "God told me" uh, spiritual leadership manipulation. It can become quasi a quasi spiritual means of imposing a leader's particular will on others using spiritualized language and these appeals to divine revelation. Guys, I know this has happened. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen here, but it can. It maybe has. But you've been in church long enough, some of you, that you've been really hurt and by someone claiming that God gave them some divine revelation that you should do whatever they wanted you to do, and it was not what God wanted. And it hurt. It divided. It was painful. Pastors are called, and, and we are equipped to shepherd the flock. We are called and equipped to lead our flocks uh, to unpopular, in unpopular directions sometimes. My calling is to lead you often toward pastures you can't see. Oh, I'm on the wrong section. Actually, let me jump back up here. You might hear that sentence again. Hold on. But the God-told-me language. I told you I had printing issues. I'm going to blame that, right? Um... The God told me line can become a tool to quiet opposing opinions and minimize challenges to a leader's agenda. Okay, is that cool? Okay, manipulation, um, controlling behavior, be on your guard. Okay, number two, hard-hearted and stubborn people, resisting spirit-led leaders. Okay, (laughs) so you're not off the hook either. I I mean, I, I roasted myself there, but now you're on, okay? Hard-hearted and stubborn people that resist spirit-led leaders. Leaders need counsel and discernment of others. Leaders have to uh, listen to others. There has to be counselors and people giving advice. Beware of a leader that is operating uh, in isolation. Look at Proverbs. Proverbs is full of this kind of wisdom, but look at Proverbs 11.14 first. Proverbs 11.14, real quickly, says... Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having, what? Many advisors. Look at um, uh, Proverbs 15.22. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. I mean, so many of the Proverbs read like a fortune cookie thing, but it's so true. Man, it's going to fall apart unless you're humble enough to seek advice. I mean, often these are written by Solomon. What was Solomon known for? the smartest guy that ever lived and the smartest guy that ever lived is saying hey a multitude of advisors is wise (laughs) wisdom has many advisors he knew enough to know that he needed input from others okay so leaders need counsel they need the discernment of others but leaders also need the freedom to lead as god has called them if god calls a person to lead others then are called to what? Follow, okay? If a leader is leading, there necessarily are those who are willing to follow and trust their leadership. The leader should, be re- should not be required to seek everyone's approval for everything. Why? Here we go. Pastors are called and equipped to shepherd the flock, leading them in unpopular directions sometimes toward pastures they can't see. God appoints leaders to motivate the church and to accomplish his work on earth. So you see the interplay. There's a balance there. There has to be a lot of humility and transparency and accessibility up here, but there's also got to be a lot of trust and the willingness to let the leaders lead out there. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, third angle of attack from the enemy guidance within the church that is shaped by cultural norms over biblical imperatives. Okay, does that make sense? guidance shaped by cultural norms over biblical imperatives. Scripture must permeate our thinking and our actions as individuals and as the church. It must all spring forth from the wisdom of Scripture. God's revealed word, will in Scripture. Culturally directed faith practice is a constant threat to the faithfulness and obedience of the church. It Culturally-directed faith, it easily causes us to drift away from a scripture-directed, biblically-formed faith practice, both personally and corporately. We live in a time where many churches, many denominations, and many people have strayed from God's will in an attempt to accommodate and affirm the desires and agenda of our host culture. Just like in the first century, there was great pressure upon the church from Rome. From the prevailing Roman culture in which they existed there are a lot there was a lot of pressure to worship their gods worship the Caesar but also worship their sex gods to worship their uh, particular local shrines and God deities there was a lot of pressure upon the church in the first century but likewise there is great pressure upon the church in America today you'll notice that uh, in the midst of this pressure in the in the New Testament that we read There's the consistent note, the consistent theme of what? Perseverance. Why would the the apostles be writing so often to the the believers in the first century church say, hey, hold fast, persevere? It doesn't take perseverance. It doesn't take holding fast to just go with the flow, to follow every wind of doctrine, to just be swept along with whatever the culture uh, desires of you it takes perseverance and holding fast to stand firm and to go in a different direction God's Holy Spirit will never lead in opposition to his written word which is is the Bible this is how we know what we know about God and his will this is how we know what we know about Jesus and what he's done for us it's the Bible the church necessarily travels on parallel tracks like a train if you will It travels on one track which is the outward authority of Scripture and the inward authority and confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Is that helpful? So we go to the Word, we read, we hide this in our heart. That becomes one track. And then the other one is the work of the Holy Spirit to confirm and to compel us in that way. So the parallel tracks. Okay, so where have we been? The first angle of attack, manipulation and controlling behavior by leaders. Second angle of attack, hard-hearted and stubborn people resisting spirit-led leaders. Third angle of attack, guidance shaped by cultural norms over biblical imperatives. And fourth, guidance being limited by our finitude. Guys, we are the weak link. We're the weak link. There's a lot of stuff in us that makes clear discernment and foolproof <laughs> uh, uh, unity really difficult. We are the weakest link. We are fallible. We're prone to failure. We're pl- prone to error. We are fallible human beings, and at times, our own prejudices, our own fears, and our own short sightedness can keep us from unity. Now, sometimes it's not a sin issue, really. I mean, maybe it is, but it's hard to tell sometimes, right? Sometimes we just simply see things differently. We feel passionate about a different vision than somebody else. Uh, Think about Paul and Barnabas in uh, Acts chapter 15. Remember what they argued about? They argued about taking Mark on a mission project, on a trip with him. There had been been some uh, unmet expectations. There was a lot of strong opinions about whether or not Mark was trustworthy. So Paul's like, nope, leave him. And Barnabas is like, actually, I think we should take him. Well, it was a real point of contention. Look at that in uh, Acts 15:36 through 41. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and and as he left the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then, they, then he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So what do we see happening there? Was there resolution? Was there sin? It's hard to tell, but they were in sharp contention over Mark. So here's what we can glean from that. As free moral beings who have opinions, who have preferences and have perspectives, differences can genuinely arise and conflicts can can emerge, we can just honestly disagree about important things. Sometimes it's because it's an important thing to us that we disagree most strongly. But here's the thing, in all things a culture of respect and kindness are imperative. We must preserve the bond of peace And love must undergird all our interactions. We get no sense from Scripture that that the sharp contention between Paul and Barnabas lasted. They're still friends. They still work together in the future, right? Mark, uh, John Mark, is still part of the the, the church. He's still part of what God is doing. So over time, that that rift was healed. But they chose to pursue a course of action that would preserve the bond of peace uh, with love undergirding all their actions. Ministries sometimes will end. Churches will sadly sometimes split. But graciousness toward one another never should end. We should never cease, we never have permission to stop being gracious toward each other. We must never give up on the other person. In the event of irreconcilable differences and directions, we never cease praying for each other. We never cease asking God's blessings upon one another. Is that doable? I trust that's something the Holy Spirit can, uh, at root, do in our lives. It's not that it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that you didn't feel emotionally charged about this decision or things not going your way. But can you decide in your heart that's like, hey, I will set aside my agenda, my hurt feelings, to pres- preserve the bond of peace and of unity in the church, and pray God's bless- blessing and best for this person. So I want to finish up with this. Uh, what do we look for? Uh, the marks of a church gar- guided by the Holy Spirit. This is according to Dallas Willard. The marks of a church guided by the holy spirit dallas willard says the aim of god in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant this is god's desire so by practicing the spiritual discipline of guidance such a community will bear seven marks the first mark of a community uh, practicing the spiritual discipline of guidance lives under the immediate and total rulership of the Holy Spirit. Lives under the immediate and total rulership of the Holy Spirit. They begin, continue, and end by looking to and relying upon the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, they are a people blinded to all other loyalties by God's splendor. There are people blinded to all other loyalties by God's splendor. That one hits a little close to home when we start talking about politics. I mean, there's been a lot of Christians, people who say they love Jesus, that are not so blinded by God's splendor. They've been wooed, and they've been enraptured by promises from certain political parties and people in politics, and they've just started to kind of uh, uh, fall under their sway, to the point of idolatry. I mean, it's really sickening right now in some ways, (laughs) but are we a people that are blinded to all other loyalties by God's splendor in in the political realm, in the social realm, in the cultural realm? We default back to God and His splendor in all things. Third, a community guided by the spiritual discipline of guidance or practicing the spiritual discipline of guidance is a compassionate community embodying the law of love as demonstrated for us in Jesus Christ. We are seeking to embody the law of love that Christ has shown us. We are a compassionate community. Number four, they are the lamb's obedient army living faithfully under the spiritual disciplines. We are becoming more and more a a, a, a maturing people, becoming more like Christ through the practice of the spiritual disciplines, inward, outward, and shared. We regularly are disciplining ourselves in those uh, spiritual practices. Number five, it is a community in the process of total transformation from the inside out. A community in the process of total transformation from the inside out. Number six, a people eager to live out God's demands in a fallen world. A people eager to live out God's demands in a fallen world. And lastly, they are tenderly aggressive meekly powerful, patiently suffering, and resilient in overcoming. A community of believers who are practicing the spiritual discipline of guidance, they are are tenderly aggressive, meekly powerful, patiently suffering, and resilient in overcoming. I like those words put together, tenderly aggressive. Man, it brings restraint, doesn't it, that we're tender. But we're aggressive. We're we're meek, but we're powerful. You know, I heard me, you know what meekness is? Kind of gets a bad rap, right? Meek's like, what? Being a pushover. No. Meekness is, I've heard it said, meekness is knowing how to play the bagpipes, yet choosing not to. <laughs> you ever heard that definition? That's that's meekness. I could do this, but I choose not to out of care and concern for you, right? <laughs> or you could insert another you know, clarinet, whatever, I don't know. But I heard it as bagpipes. Knowing how to play the bagpipes, yet choosing not to. That's meekness, my (laughs) friends. Tenderly aggressive, meekly powerful, patiently suffering, and resilient in overcoming. Dallas Willard finishes up by saying, Such a community, cast in a rare and apostolic mold, constitutes a new gathering of the people of God. May Almighty God continue to gather such a people in our day. Yes, may that people be us, Hope and Anchor may that day be today let's pray together father thank you for uh, your word thank you for the demonstration of your kindness your abiding presence whether we see it in in the old testament whether we see it in uh, the gospels whether we hear from jesus's lips whether we see the holy spirit at work in the early church god you've demonstrated to us over and over again that you desire for us to know your will. You've made it knowable, and I pray that you would keep us pliable in your hands, keep us um, uh, free from our own agendas, being held captive by cultural norms. God, lead us over and over again by the work of your Holy Spirit back to your word. May we as a church find that we are uniquely equipped to be a, a, discerning, uh, a discerning group of people by hiding the word in our heart, By acknowledging and leaning into the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, may we become more and more clear about your will being expressed in our midst. God, may we desire first and foremost to just bask in the splendor of your glory and to see you honored in all that we do. God, may we be aware of the angles of attack, the way that the enemy can come and sow discord and sow disunity uh, in this fellowship. But God, may we also trust that greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. God, when we plant our feet in your truth and we walk in the way that Jesus has showed us, God, we will not be overcome. Lord, I pray that uh, you would break any uh, 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 hardness in our hearts. I pray that you would heal up any woundedness in our hearts from past experiences in the church. God, I pray that you give us a spirit of humility, of, uh, of a desire to do better. Lord, the task is great. You've sent us out to be your people, to reveal and represent your kingdom in the world. It is us whom you've sent into the world to go and make disciples and to teach them all that you've commanded. God, may we do a better job of that. And God, we recognize that it starts right now, deep down in a little place in our hearts, in my heart, that I would decide in my heart that I'm going to follow you and I'm going to lay aside all that it hinders me, all my preferences, all my uh, my distractions I'm just going to follow you teach me how to do that Lord, I pray that you would help us start to see guidance how we make decisions what we choose to do and not do as a spiritual discipline a thing of spiritual importance I pray that you would drive that deeply into our heart as we become more and more like Jesus each individually and as we become his bride Lord, I pray that you'd work this truth uh, into our hearts. Give us eyes to see, hearts to understand, ears to hear, and hearts to understand all that you would speak to us today through your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Here, we're going to sit for two minutes. Uh, There's going to be some music, but this is time for you to just uh, interact with the Lord. Say, God, search me and know me. Maybe I've been pretty stiff-necked, hard-hearted. I've been unwilling to follow where you lead i've been unwilling to lend my voice to search scripture and to bring uh my 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 insight from the word today what if we started to trust just a little bit more that jesus was telling the truth when he said he'd be with us that he'd be with us in our midst guiding us growing us guys it's possible and i believe that this would be time well spent that if we sit with the lord and say speak lord your servant's listening I want to know you more. I want to follow you more faithfully. and I want to see your will expressed more and more fruitfully in this place. I want to see your will expressed more and more uh, vitally in me. So we're going to take a minute or two here and just make the most of this opportunity, all right?